Face to Face Games proudly presents Grand Prix Toronto, the first Grand Prix featuring the Hour of Devastation limited format, July 21st to 23rd. Come face pro players as they flex their muscles just one week before the Pro Tour. Every Grand Prix entry includes a sleep-in special and registered sealed pool for players with buys. Visit gptoronto2017.facetofacegames.com to register and learn more. So number 20, 33 of First Strike. This is KYT. Back with all my boys, Brian, Rob, Vince in the house. Quick shout out to our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gatherings singles. And also make sure to check out GP Toronto 2017. It's happening in less than three weeks. And today I just posted an event that we're having, a first, our first First Strike meetup. First, first strike <laughs> on Friday at 7 p.m. at Liberty Commons, uh, just a, a pub type place, so we can actually have conversations and have food and eat. And uh, making it seven, so it's not too late, so everyone can get rested for the main event. Super excited for the first time. I'm gonna get to see everyone, like all the main hosts in one spot including doug and uh because last time it was just like me brian and rob at uh gp i don't remember where it was new jersey new jersey, new jersey. GP new it was, jersey it was, was a great place. gp i love that gp a lot terrible a lot GP. Of fun. just horrible <laughs> it was totally a horrible gp for me brian <laughs> um uh, but first okay the cat's out of the bag brian is the newest co-host of the game podcast congratulations brian i didn't know that jerry had the uh same eye for talent that that i had uh he either has the same eye for talent or he's as big of an idiot as you are so <laughs> we'll see which one it proves to be um yeah it's been tough to keep quiet about it I, i've been super excited um you know now we have an episode in the bag and i felt like we hit the ground running our report you know it's just like us having the conversation i really didn't have any doubt we'd definitely fall into it uh, and I know a ton of First Strike people listened and, you know, sent kind words my way. And I'm super appreciative because I was a little nervous, you know, like I, I'm taking over for Majors, who's a platinum pro. And, you know, I, I, I know like people listen to what I have to say, but there's still a moment of hesitation, right? Where you're like, why should I listen to this guy? He's not a platinum pro. Um, but people have been super receptive, except like one guy on Reddit who, who totally hates me. But he's the only guy I've seen saying mean stuff. So I can get away with just one guy on Reddit who doesn't like me. Then I'm fine with it. He says I talk too much. He's probably right, but what are you going to do? I mean, Reddit, there's just too many, too many different opinions in there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, they rain, they rain hate hard on, on me and, and the show for how we, we spoiled the, our first preview card live. They didn't like the way we did it, and they're like, oh, we're never... Like, they're, they're a bit too strong, too harsh initially. A lot of, like, even Twitter people are like, oh, I'll, I'll never listen to them just because it's like the first mistake that we did, and then obviously we improved upon that so you're gonna get that a lot i hope that you don't listen to all of them or at all i have some pretty thick skin man and i i don't really mind criticism it's just it's funny to me though like a dude who like 
I mean, I don't know who this guy is. He could be anyone. But it's funny that, like, Jerry will take the time to have a conversation with me. And, like, he gets a lot from our conversations, right? And, like, seeks me out. But this guy's like, I don't have time for this guy. He's not a platinum pro. Well, that just shows you that good information comes from everywhere. And I think back to, like, me, I, I had never met Misplaced Ginger before. And I was scouring Motolist, and I found, like, his tech um, in um, his Sahili list. I'm like, dude, this is really good. I like what this guy's doing. And we kind of co-opted it. And I remember we worked with uh, Ben Friedman, Dan Jordan, and Ben Friedman ended up taking, I don't know if he won or took second in that GP. Um, but, but like to me, I didn't know who Misplaced Ginger was at that point. And now we all know him. We know in probably five years, he's going to be a guy that everyone knows. Um, but but information's all around you. It's silly to disqualify people because they don't have platinum status or you know, they don't have this or they don't have that. There's a lot of brilliant minds in this game. And I, I think if you're cutting yourself off from information, you're doing yourself a disservice. So that's my little rant on that. Yeah. I, well, I, I listened to the first episode. thought it was really good. Um, just like any of the shows you've ever done with either me or just with Joel Parody. Always excellent to hear your voice. So uh, I really want to bring Joel on this cast one day. He has, he has <laughs> nothing about magic to say. And nobody will appreciate it but me and you, KYT. But it would be a really fun time. <laughs> Um, it was, yeah, short story when me and Joel met, like we were just so nice to each other that he, he just passed the turn without playing his land because we were so distracted by our conversation together. So he's just like, oh my God, <laughs> that was <laughs> such a memorable moment. Um, so let's just skip right to some feel good stuff or, or some near misses. I would like to say, Rob, you played the mocks recently and Put up a pretty damn good result. Yeah, tell us all about it. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> there was uh, I missed <laughs> I missed the Mox Open, which is the event that I was actually wanting to play because it was limited. Um, so then they had the Mox monthly uh, on Saturday, I think. No, Sunday. I, I can't remember. Anyways, <clears throat> yeah, I guess it was Sunday, and uh, it was modern. And I don't have a deck online. Uh, I sold all my modern stuff. Um, I don't know when we were talking about selling our collections uh, a few months back or whatever. <laughs> so I just kind of like perused through the MTG Goldfish list until I found something that I was close to building. So there was a, a kind of a domain Death Shadow list that I just needed to pick up Tarmogoyce for. So I decided to play that and uh, I got paired against uh, Grixis Death Shadow almost the entire tournament. And the deck seems to have a pretty reasonable matchup against it. Although, like, all of my games that I won were close, uh, they were close in my favor, and most of my wins were 2-0. So um, I did win a lot of die rolls, so I'm, I'm sure that, that probably affected uh, my win rate a little bit. Um, but yeah, I ended up going 7-1. I lost to um, uh, Blue Red Storm in the finals, which just seems, like, completely unwinnable, especially the way my sideboard was configured. It was, like, very much geared to beat... Um, other Death Shadow decks, Burn and uh, Affinity, um, and didn't really have anything. <laughs> I had like no Thoughtseize, no Inquisition in my board at all. Uh, so I was just like just straight up dead to uh, to, to Blue Red Storm. Like I just got to do whatever he wanted. Um, but he played like uh, he played pretty tight. He had some pretty sick lines. Um, he like remanded his own Grape Shot uh, to to double Grape Shot me. I thought that was pretty savage. <laughs> Brawl's a dangerous card. I'm not sure if you know that. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. The deck seemed pretty good, so now I'm queued for the, the Mox playoff, uh, which is unfortunately, again, modern. So hopefully I can find a, a better deck <laughs> than what I chant uh, at the monthly event and, and see if I can get a Mox, uh, I guess, I don't know, series championship qualification or whatever they call it. 
So you you said you just stumble upon a, a more domain style uh, Dev Shadow. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I, was bit, I, I mean, my only requirement was that like the deck, uh, I, I need to spend only like a, like less than a hundred tickets to make up whatever the rest of the deck was. So my options were uh, Living End, which I need to pick up four Fulminators, which is like sixty or seventy ticks, or uh, this Death Shadow deck, which was like Buying Goyce, which is like a hundred ticks or whatever. But yeah. Um, it's like pretty similar to the old Death Shadow Zoo list that we're playing, uh, Become a Men's Team or Battle Rage. But okay. you you cut both of those, um, and you cut like all the fancy stuff, like Apostles Blessing, whatever. And then you play a lot more Reach. So it plays four Bolts, plays four Tribal Flames, and it plays four Boros Charm. Boros Charm is kind of like taking the place of Team or Battle Rage. And then it plays still plays Mutagenic Growth, but instead of playing Become a Men's, it plays Might of Al- Might of Alar, I think it's called, which is just like Green Domain plus X plus X. So usually it's green wow. plus five plus five. So uh, yeah, it has some pretty sweet turn threes. If you can just like hit domain on turn three and then just might have Alara like an unblocked uh, Nakadal or something and and get them for uh, for sixteen uh, with a Burrow's Charm. But um, and it still plays Death Shadow, obviously. But yeah, I don't know. The, the list is interesting. It, it was very. I, I thought it was very good against other Death Shadow decks because like they would typically go down to like between nine and twelve on their turn to play a Death Shadow, and you were just like, you know, EOT Boros Charm, you untap Bolt, Tribal Flames you, and then that, that was game. I, I won a lot of matches uh, with that sequence, so um, yeah, I don't know, it seems seemed interesting. I guess if there's going to be lots of Death Shadow Grixis online, then this deck seems reasonable, but if there's going to be like a bunch of combo decks, uh, this deck is not fast enough on average <laughs> to, uh, to compete, and it doesn't lose life or like select its hand in a in a well enough way that like you're always enacting the game plan you want. A lot of it is like you're kind of stumbling around until you just like oh tribal flames off the top, you're dead. Sorry, yeah. Five. <laughs> so like that's that's the main reason you don't love it as much. Uh, outside of that, like you said, uh, it's fa- it seems favored in the mirror, and theoretically, based on what you're reasoning, it just does make sense. I mean, yeah, they 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 want to do like eleven damage to themselves, right? And you're mm-hmm. playing a bunch of cards that do four and five damage. So it's, it's pretty easy to do nine. Um, but like, uh, against a, a deck that's like just ignoring your game plan, you don't have the same consistency and interaction that uh, a normal death shadow deck does to like combat against like blue, white control or blue, red storm or like some other, like, uh, ad nauseum or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that it's good against a wide meta. If you, if you know your meta good, then it seems reasonable. I just happened to pick it up and I ran hot, so I, <laughs> I crushed so much. I even beat Boggles one round, which was insane, actually. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, you mentioned 36 you, my opponent one turn. <laughs> you mentioned that you almost were, were like living and was one of your choices. It might be yeah. that. It might be for the next one that you play. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so now I have like an extra 150 tickets to play with. Uh, that I can spend on modern that I'm not too sad about, so I'll probably end up just building uh, affinity or an actual the actual Death Shadow Brixis deck or something like that. <laughs> okay, um, so I'm going to go straight to Brian here because he played Living at the PTQ today online, and I'm always like you, Rob. You got a taste of it when uh, Brian first got us on Mardu, and you've been praising Brian ever since, but. I've, I've always liked Brian when he instills that confidence when he just, like, feels like he's got that archetype in the right spot. Uh, Brian, like, did you feel like 
But yesterday, I think you were pretty hyped when you when you borrowed like the groves from me. I felt like you thought that you were on the right deck. Uh, I had some hesitation. I I, I like theoretically where Living End would be positioned, but I was concerned that I may be outsmarting myself a little bit. Like I thought it was a good reaction to what was happening at SCG. Um, but that's kind of soon to ask the metagame to react. Like we're only a day removed from SCG. And I, I don't think there's the same level of liquidity in modern that there is in standard. Like if things happen in standard, you know, standard players basically have all the standard cards or you're like 10 ticks away from getting these, you know, couple new cards you need. Um, but when it comes to modern, I think people are a little bit more tied to their decks and, you know, I mean, Rob's telling you right now, he's, he's making budgetary decisions. So I, I don't think that's an uncommon thing when it comes to modern. Um, so I was a little concerned, uh, and I was kind of thwarted in the PTQ in two ways. One, because I caught some bad matchups um, that I, they, they honestly could just be variants or they could be continuing to exist. I, I lost to blue-white control twice, um, which I think is a very difficult matchup for Living End. Um, and I lost to Eldrazi Tron. And that was a deck that I thought the sideboard plan maybe was a little bit better than it actually was. Eldrazi Tron's a really difficult matchup for Living End, and it just makes sense. Like, they have access to four Relic, four Chalice. I mean, that's basically the perfect sideboard package against you. Um, so they kind of beat my pants off. And then the second thing that thwarted me is the fact that I did not know how to play my deck. And if you go <laughs> oh, to Reddit right now, oh, no. you'll actually see that I'm prominently featured in one of the top threads there um, as the clown opponent who doesn't know what his living ends do. So go look, you'll find it. It's on like the regular Magic TCG Reddit page. Uh, and, you know, it's basically an entire thread mocking me and saying that I, I must be clueless, which is half true. I, I am quite clueless sometimes. Uh, essentially, I, like, I suspended living end on two consecutive turns, thinking I could... You know, I don't know if I actually thought I, I could not cast it, but I was kind of like, well, this game needs to end in the next three turns, and I need to force my opponent's action. So he's going to counter this first living end, and then the second one will come into play, and, and things will go well. And if he doesn't, then I can just not cast the second one. Um, obviously, you're forced to cast your living ends. You don't have a choice with suspend cards. They just come off suspend. They have to be played. Now I know that authoritatively. I think I knew that in my soul, but I just kind of put it on the back burner for a little while. Um, Moto, make sure you don't forget, though, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, so I, I think I would have lost the game anyway, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I lost it in kind of spectacular and noteworthy fashion, and now all of Reddit gets to make fun of me for a few days, so that's good. I always like to give them a little fodder to, to throw in my direction. Um, so you mentioned pre-show, and just now you're alluding that you might be, you were one step ahead, but let's say you were going to play a tournament this weekend. How do you feel? I, I, the, I was impressed by the deck. It's kind of like... It's, it's A plan is awesome, and it's B plan is reasonable. It's B plan feels much more reasonable than Dredge's B plan. Like, you can certainly cast these cards and win games. Um, the Fulminator Mage mana denial thing is kind of good. We talked a little bit uh, in our pre-show about maybe, just because the Eldrazi Tron matchup is so bad, like, the Fulminator Mage package doesn't make a ton of sense against them. So maybe it's time to just move to Blood Moon and, like, jam your Simeon Spirit Guides and get a Blood Moon on turn one or two. In a lot of matchups, I can see the appeal of that. It really seems like a nice out to what are otherwise very difficult matchups. Uh, you know, and then you just kind of sit there until you hit six lands and can cash your six four. But um, yeah, I, I like the deck. I mean, it's not really my style. I, I felt like I was giving up a lot of agency in my results. Like it was kind of just like, all right, what happens here happens. Um, but at the same time, I, I think I could give it a recommendation for your next event. It, it's certainly meta dependent. 
I think things are moving more towards creature decks right now. So that encourages me to, uh, you know, look for Living End to, to come to prominence. Uh, and I just wasn't pleased. I was playing a lot of Grixis Death Shadow, and I just wasn't quite pleased with where it was sitting right now. So that's, that's why I ultimately ended up on Living End. Oh, uh, I guess one more note on Modern before we probably moving on. Uh, Lingering Souls, I had two in my board yesterday, and they were great. Just absolutely fantastic. Um, the Grixis Death Shadow deck is just like almost dead to them since they're like not expecting, I guess, them from my garbage tribal domain <laughs> Death Shadow deck out of the board. And uh, they didn't seem to bring in Staticasters, so... That that was fantastic, but I, I don't know. I think maybe uh, I know they have Staticaster in the board, but I feel like Lingering Souls is probably a place I, I want to be in the main deck um, against like all this Death Shadow and Affinity meta that's kind of uh, taking place right now. It seems like a good spot to be. Right, we're not going to move completely off of Modern. I just want to mention that a lot of uh, what Brian was talking about was was he was trying to predict based of the SCG, which is SCG Invitational. Um, Frequent guest of the show, Daniel Fournier, actually finished in second place with Grixis, Death Shadow, and a First Strike Nation member, recent First Strike Nation member, uh, Daniel Byington. Hope I didn't uh, butcher your name. Please correct me. Uh, he also top it with Eldrazi Tron. Uh, didn't have, he admittedly uh, admitted that he didn't have that much experience in Modern. So apparently he got completely owned by Todd Anderson in the top eight match. So, unfortunately, he wasn't able to, to win the tournament. But, like, huge, huge congrats to both of these guys for making the top eight of this tournament. Uh, Vince, you, got, you caught some of the coverage. Uh, what did you think about it? Yeah, I, w- I will say before I talk about any specific coverage that something was going on with the SCG stream, and it was like, it was like watching a slideshow. Like, it was brutal. But beyond that, it was actually really entertaining magic. Um, I think... Fournier was covered for most of the top eight. I don't know if I got to see Daniel uh, at all, but Fournier uh, constantly impresses me whenever I see him on camera. Like he's a he's a very skillful player. He plays very tight, and he he has lines that you know you kind of look at originally, and you're like, that seems stupid. And then four turns later, you're like, oh, that made complete sense, and it's the reason why he won the game. And I really like seeing that when I watch players. That's what I look for when. I'm like, I think this play's awful, and then three turns later, I get why it was good. That's usually a sign that someone's a lot better than me, so I like watching Dan play. Um, he did a really good job playing against uh, Todd in the mirror match in the semifinals. Those were really close games, and I think he did a really good job leveraging his Snapcaster mages, playing them at the right time, understanding sort of three turns ahead where life totals are going to be, what the board state needed to look like. Uh, just playing really tight with his deck. Um, the finals were great. Uh, I think it was game four, the, the game he lost when uh, his opponent, I can't remember his opponent's name, but his opponent's playing Death and Taxes um, and won the tournament. The, the game that he won to win the tournament, there was <laughs> the amount of top decks his opponent needed to have to clear the game out was insane. It was, it was very entertaining to watch. I felt bad for Dan, but <laughs> it was uh, a very entertaining topic to say the least. And big shout outs to Dan for. Uh, is really good finish. He also shock called it before the tournament started that he was going to win. And I was like, that's a stupid move. Don't do that. And then actually came second. I was like, oh man, he almost did it. So it was pretty cool to see that. It was, it was a fun tournament to watch for sure. Um, yeah, you can, you can check back. What was cool is you can check back the, the broadcast and see the stream that was there. And I was watching part of it today. And you can see, oh my God, as he like rips the Sarah 
uh, Avenger. <laughs> yeah. From the top, I, he only has one. And it also yeah. had to be off a Thraben Inspector clue. Like he had exactly five lands. He had to draw the, the last two turns. He drew Path to Exiles running off the top to deal with uh, Dan's threats, and then had to draw a blocker plus a lethal flying attacker with exactly five mana. It was so insane. <laughs> this was fun. Though. It was fun, and he was just like cold face, like no reaction. He's like, "Yeah, whatever." Like I built my deck this way. Like this is how it works. So it, it was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, as someone watching Vince, did you like what? What deck impressed you the most? Or did it seem to you like Grixis Death Shadow is likely the best deck? Yeah, uh, entirely. I think like everyone's saying, like yeah, Death and Taxes is the way to beat Grixis Death Shadow. But the reality is that I think the deck is too versatile. Like. Really, what is Death Shadow asking of you to build a deck? Just play a bunch of fetches and shocks, or fetches and, yeah, fetches and shock lands, and then a one-mana 5-5? Five, five. Like, you can just adjust the deck to whatever the metagame is trying to do to beat you, and then keep winning, so... I had a hot take a few weeks ago where I said I think Death Shadow is going to be a card to get banned for Modern. Um, it feels like the card is probably too good i don't know if if it, if it will get banned but i think it's just too easy to build a death shadow deck that works and you can go so many different ways with it and that's kind of where i think it, it'll be uh looked at more seriously now for sure all right um we're gonna switch it up for our next topic we had uh, a first strike nation member paul would come come on the show our pre-show to chat with us and he gave us a very interesting topic that i've I feel like we sort of covered in some ways on a previous episode or on episodes I've done on other shows in the past. And the topic is very interesting because it, it relates to a lot of us and it's the ability, like the strategy in terms of balancing your time, especially when you have a full-time job and being able to improve at magic. And Rob... We'll start with you first, just seeing your results over the last year. And as someone that I know has a full-time job and is a busy man and also a freaking dad, um, all these responsibilities, you've been able to keep it together and still be like the, one of the main pillars of your Hamilton community. One of the just, yeah, you're still able to get in there and it looks like you're getting better and better results. So what's your strat? What's, what's, your, what's your secret? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I guess. So the number one strat is just to be really, really good at the game. And then you don't have to try as hard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, seriously, though, the number one strat is to just be really lucky. And then you don't have to be good at the game, like, like Ginger. Um, but uh, in all honesty, like, you just need to really focus on what it is that you're trying to do at your next level. Like, where's your next level up? Kind of trying to internalize, like, where you are at the game and, like, what do you need to do to achieve like your goal? Right. So um, back like a year ago, uh, I guess it's a little more than a year ago before GP Toronto 2016. Um, I would, I, I felt like my play was like pretty good and I was good at, at limited. I put a lot of limited, um, but like when I would go to standard GPs or something, I would just get like kind of run over. Cause I was like trying to break the format with like very little testing. I'd switch decks at the last minute and be like, Oh, like Megamorph is really good. Oh no, never mind. Like this Martyr Dragons that came out. Oh no, never mind. I'm just gonna play Ozon Control, and then I would just like switch to something completely different. That would like it was like posted the night before. I was like, oh yeah, this looks something weird. Maybe I can do well with that. That's like just not a good way to have consistently good results <laughs> at, at an event, right? Um, so for Toronto, I was like, okay, I have time to test. I'm just gonna really focus on my testing part 
of of this GP and do it with people that like I trust their skill level and their opinion and try and figure out like what deck should I actually play that's good uh, based on what we think the metagame is, right? And we came out with Esper Dragons and I ended up doing very well <laughs> with that deck because um, I felt like I, I was very well positioned against green-white tokens and uh, green-black aristocrats, which I, I, I played like probably 10 out of the 15 rounds or something like that in the event. So, um, yeah, for me, I just needed to like a lot the time right before the event and like actually test and come to a conclusion like you know before the tournament <laughs> i felt that was very useful right so then i'm not making like I-, I can let my uh probably my my history my good play skill like make up for the fact like i don't have to what am i trying to say here like I'm playing well enough, but I was making, I was losing a bunch of percentage because I was playing a deck that was like untuned and I was in unfamiliar matchups and like I didn't have enough skill to like get that, like get those percentages back, right? So um, if I just know my deck beforehand, I know my matchups, I know my sideboard plan, then it's uh, then it's a lot easier to do well, right? I don't, I, there's a lot less mental energy and like uh, unsure decisions you're just kind of wasting. So I think that uh, you just need to kind of like pick your spot, I guess, if you will, and, like, focus on the thing that you're trying to accomplish, whether that's, like, doing good at a GP or, like, you know, going to a PT or going to a PPTQ um, and just, like, blocking off a certain amount of time, like, whatever you can, um, and then and then trying to do, you know, trying to accomplish your goal that way, right? It's, like, not about kind of just, like, playing a lot all the time uh, and staying sharp. You just need to, like, kind of pick your moment and like do, do the work for that, that event. That seems to work for me anyways. Hmm. Uh, Brian, Brian's notorious for uh, being on the show and saying he doesn't play <laughs> a, whole, a lot. How do you uh, like, but for, for let's say your best run, which is almost top eighting PT origins, how, how much work did you put in? What was your, your strategy there? I put in almost no work because I was so busy at my job that I, I just didn't have time. I, I mean, I wanted to. My strategy was at that point, and this is just a lesson in if you have no time, um, about an hour every night, I'd play games against myself. And that way I learned both sides of a matchup. And it, it worked quickly, I guess. I mean, I understood things very quickly. Look, more time is, is always better we're not always going to have access to it. That's just, just the reality of life. And if you're limited in time, make sure every single action you take has a purpose. Every play you make has a purpose. Don't be, you know, one of the things that blinds us is our desire to look good, I think. And what it happens a lot in testing, I see that people are so afraid to make mistakes in testing. Just make a mistake and be like, oh, this was a mistake. Maybe if I did it this way, it would be more interesting. Let's rewind and do it that way. Because you both want to get perfect information from the game. So it doesn't do you any good to make the mistake. One, not see it, correct it, and learn from it. And two, not to figure out what the game would have played out with had you played optimally. So that's why I really like playing both, both sides of a matchup is because I could just kind of like play one side optimally and, and kind of stack the deck against you know, one of the sides. And if you're still, if the, if the side with the deck stacked against it was still winning, okay, I was on to something. Like this deck was special. Um, but yeah, it's just a balancing act, you know, do the best, do the best you can. And don't be afraid of scaling your goals with your time commitment. I think that's totally fine. If you don't have a lot of time to devote to magic, don't punish yourself for not top eating everything or for not making the pro tour, you know, be happy with your small improvements and be happy 
don't let anyone take away from your successes. You know, if you're proud because you won Friday Night Magic, then you won Friday Night Magic and own that. Like, that's your accomplishment. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Every single thing you do that you seek to accomplish is enough. And then when you accomplish something else, that's enough. And when you move even further, that's still enough. Don't let yourself be bogged down by these arbitrary rules. Like, I have to top eight a pro tour by the end of this year, or I have to make the pro tour by the end of this year. You know, I had a friend who he really crushed himself under the weight of his own expectations because he was so, so focused on getting to the pro tour and it completely burnt him out. He's not playing magic right now um, because he, he just, he weighed himself down and lost all enjoyment in the game. So do what you have to do to keep enjoyment and, and take joy in your successes. And that's my main advice. You know, no one gets to the pro tour overnight. Enjoy the ride. When you get there, you get there and then there'll be a new goal for you to accomplish. And, you know, move on from there. Sweet, sweet. I'll talk a bit about me. Uh, like before, like under the old, I don't know how hard it is uh, now because I haven't grinded the, the PPTQ system that much, but under the old PTQ system, it, it felt really hard uh, to get there after many heartbreaks of top eights and, and, and just near misses. It just felt like I could never get there and then i would win two in, in a span of a few months and the first one was uh m15 draft i think where i put in a lot of time drafting online but um and and when it came to my the one following i played in an abzan deck and really cruised uh my way through with that deck uh it, it was just a really good list and to me though the the amount of money the resources i had to spend was Quite high. Like I had to draft a ton, and granted, I, I probably uh, during my testing uh, when eight four still existed, I, I won my fair share, so it wasn't that bad. But if I were to do that now, after looking at the stats, I'm not Rob. I don't think I can run 1900 uh, in a new format yet. Uh, so getting there infinite without spending a lot of cash, I think, is going to be hard. And and testing standard, like before, I just wanted to test really fast, so I would use. MTGO as my number one tool to be able to build a deck really fast and play against someone uh, instead of relying on real-life testing partners that all have different schedules. So I could just grind a bunch of matches, but uh, before mana traders and, and mana hours and stuff like that, I had to like buy, sell, spend a lot of tickets. So there's, you know, like I could do it like easily, spend focus like a day or two a week to improve my game. But, but that's a lot, a lot of resources. Ideally, you have a group of real-life friends that can either proxy decks or already have a bunch of decks made, and you can set a time like these guys mentioned. And uh, like Brian or Rob said, like, make it a focus. A lot of times um, in a lot of groups that I've been in, people are just, like, just playing games and not really with a goal in mind. So without a goal in mind and well, well specific matchups you want to test, you're not gaining that much from, from that. So... That's all I have to add to what these guys already said. Uh, my personal experience, Vince, you got anything different from uh, the three of us? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have done a pretty good job fleshing it out. Um, just a few things I want to say. One of them is, it kind of comes back to what Brian was talking about. You really need to like clarify for yourself what your frame of reference is for what you actually want to do with Magic, right? Like, A lot of people will just say, I want to get better, or I want to get on the Pro Tour, but that's not a goal that has set tasks that will allow you to actually see results and continue to improve. You can't just say, I want to get on the pro tour and then not be satisfied until you get there because you'll never get good enough to get there or you'll just get lucky one day and get there. But the, if you actually want to devote time to getting better at magic, you have to stop 
you have to kind of change how you play magic. Everyone comes into magic playing it as a hobby that they enjoy and they just want to spend time playing because it's fun. If you actually want to improve at magic, you have to change the way you think about the game. And you have to spend the time that you have playing magic thinking about it differently, thinking about how am I playing? What am I doing wrong? How could I do it differently? And that you don't get that just by iterating over and over again what you've already been doing, just you know, playing FNM or grinding moto. You have to talk to people like you said, Carr. You have to sort of manage your game in a, in a way that's you kind of take like a third party perspective and go, did I spend my time efficiently? Was I doing the right things to try to improve rather than just play over and over and over again to try to get better? So I think it's a lot about maximizing the efficiency of your time when you're playing magic that will help you get better. And in order to do that, you need to be aware of what your goals are. You need to sort of be more involved with your playing rather than just playing for the sake of playing. Okay. Uh, Paul has a quick follow-up, so we'll always do this question. Um, is there a point, we'll start with you, Brian, because you have a, the first snap response I like. Is there a point where you think the resources you put into the game aren't worth it? Time, money, family? Where do you guys draw that line? And Brian, you said... It can't be worth it. It's almost impossible for it to be worth it. There's just, there's just not enough money in the game. There's not... Uh, this can't be your life. It, some people it is. And if they're happy, that, that's the main thing. If you're happy, then fine. But your happiness always needs to be what comes first. And the things you talk about, uh, time, family, money, unfortunately, are the things that a lot of times what our happiness is based on. They're kind of like the, the bedrocks of our life. So, so picture, you know, you're spending 20 hours a day playing magic and all around you, your family's crumbling and you're running out of money and you're unhealthy because all you do is play magic all day. What is this accomplishment in magic even going to mean for you? It's completely worthless at that point because you don't have anyone to share it with. You are fighting to get to your next meal. And honestly, how can you expect yourself to play good magic when you have to win a tournament to be able to eat that night? Like, that's crazy. That's a crazy situation to put yourself in. And, you know, that's the thing that... Um, that's why poker players establish bankrolls and play at levels they're comfortable with. And, you know, you don't put yourself in a position where you can never go bankrupt. And every horrible poker player I ever saw was always in a position to make themselves bankrupt. And how can you play poker properly when you're like, oh, if I bluff here and get called, I can't eat tonight. And, and magic is kind of the same thing. I mean, you have to have your life straightened around you. And honestly, the times. So if I, if I go through my pro tour qualifications, my first one was at my first ever GP where I was just like super excited to be at a GP. Um, and I really had no expectations, but I got there. My second one was two weeks after I got married in the middle of law school, um, where like I had no interest in magic really whatsoever. Um, it just worked out that way. My third one was at a GP I went to on a vacation, not expecting to do well. Um, but my work life was going well and everything around it was going well. And then I went to that pro tour with no expectations and did really well and went to a fourth pro tour. So like, all of these things weren't at times. And there have been times in my life where I'm like, all right, I need to get on this magic grind. I need to do everything I can to get back to the pro tour. All of those times were failures for me. 100% of the time, I've never made it to the pro tour in that way. It's always come when like the rest of my life is going really well. And I go play magic with no presuppositions and just like there to have a good time, there to play my best. And that's when things work out for me. So I, I mean, that's a small sample size. Other people, you know, maybe they're totally down in the dumps and that's when they find magic success. I don't know. But for me, it's never worked that way. So my advice is get the rest of your life right and let the pieces kind of fall around you. And it's so much easier to play good magic when you're just happy and healthy and, and things are going well. So if you have to backburner it, don't be afraid to backburner it. Magic's always going to be there. You can always come back to magic. Wait till, it, wait till it fits in your life. There'll be points in your life where it just won't fit and you have to be willing to accept that. 
Uh, and if you do that, I think the times where it does fit in your life, you'll be better prepared to play. So, Rob? Yeah, no, I just, I agree like completely. And you, you can kind of see that. I mean, it might be hard uh, to notice that if you're kind of a younger player, but um, for a lot of us old timers anyways, we've all had like major gaps in when we started playing. And then we played for like, you know, three, four, six years, whatever. And then we got out for like five, eight years. And then, you know, after we're done all that other life garbage and like you have some free time and it's like, okay, what are my hobbies going to be now as an adult? And it's like, I used to, you know, I used to skateboard. I used to play a lot of pool. I used to play guitar and drums and write a lot of music and do production. And I used to play magic a, a little bit when I was uh, in high school and college. And then like, I put all of those things aside, did my school came out and I was like, okay, you know, what, what do I want to do for my hobby? My friends were playing magic. And I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll get back into magic. Then that, that seems to be where my focus is. And uh, so that my other hobbies have been put aside, but like, yeah, you just have these, these huge gaps. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't work for you at that time. Right. And you need to be, you know, you need to be okay with it. If you kind of like stick through it when you're not, when your life won't let you uh, have such a time consuming hobby, you're not going to do well. And if you're someone that like doesn't like doing something, unless you do it well, then you're going to be like doubly, it's going to be doubly bad for you. Right. And I'm that kind of person where it's like, I don't want to be invested in doing something where I'm just going to be garbage. <laughs> if it's going to be something I'm spending time on, I, I want to be, uh, you know, as good as I'm, I'm able to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's a real tough balance. And, Magic is a real hard game, so um, I can see the frustrations with people, but I think you need to just, like, you know, focus on, if, if you really want to get better, you need to focus on, like, actually improving your skill, and not just jamming games. That's probably where a lot of people are going wrong, and then that gets them into just these spending way too much time do, you know, doing nothing but spinning your wheels. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like that you mentioned that, Brian, because uh, I think I've, I've never been able to fall uh, out of like, I've always been caught in that trap where I'm just in that momentum and like looking at the year where I had my most success. Though, even though I had the most success, I top sixteen multiple GPS, uh, qualified for a pro tour twice, had a zillion planeswalker points. I was just going, going, and going, and I just never. Um, even though it wasn't necessarily always the right time throughout the year for me to focus on magic. So I think it's really hard and I've seen people struggle. Of course, some of my ex podcast mates have had to um, get like quit the show uh, on my previous show, uh, the A team, because they just like took magic too far and, and forgot about, or not, not forgot, but like focus less on their family obligations. And I think that's something that I've been guilty of just focusing so much on the game that uh, I just didn't, I just couldn't stop. And I think it's really hard because uh, when my motivation to be the best in the world uh, was there, I just, it was just so important to me to, to qualify and prove to the world that I could be one of the best that I'm not just some random guy who has a website. Uh, and yeah, it was tough, and it's 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 challenging. Um, I can't like basically I can't see myself if I had a time travel machine to go back and convince my older self that that I needed to slow it down a bit. Now I am because I'm I'm more um, comfortable with where I am in terms of my skills and and what I've accomplished. But it, it's it, when you're when the fire is there, it's really tough. Like when my fire was at its strongest, it's insanely tough. Um, any last words, Vince, uh, on this? Yeah, I'll I'll say one thing, and it's kind of a 
weird answer to the question, but I mean, if if you really feel like if you genuinely feel like magic is everything to you and you want to commit a lot of your time, money, resources to the game, you don't necessarily have to become a pro magic player to get sort of rewarded for being involved in magic. There's a lot of ways to create a career not a lot but there are ways to create a career out of magic that don't necessarily involve you becoming a pro and they're probably a lot more lucrative actually if you want to pursue them you could you know work on opening a store work on being a content creator there there are a lot of avenues right now with the advent of the internet and social media i hate to say those words but it's true uh you can if you really love it and you really want to commit time to it just do it in the right way I mean, I would never tell anyone, quit your job and pursue trying to become a pro at Magic full-time. That is the stupidest thing you could do. (laughs) Even if you get there, it's not worth it. Like, it's just an awful idea. So it's just changing your frame of reference from being, I want to be a pro at Magic to, I love this game and I want it to be a part of my life as much as I can. That's the truth. Vince speaks the truth. Yeah. Um, well, you can start your own podcast, maybe. Okay, we'll just Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that either, or or scream twenty four seven. We'll go back to some uh, specific magic carding now of that talk. Uh, thanks a lot for that topic, Paul. Shoutouts to you, and hope you. If you have any more questions, feel free to leave them in the group, and we'll we'll get more deep on the topic there. So with Rob, actually, no, Rob, you can't go to pro tour kyoto is that is that the news i'm cued but yeah it doesn't look like it's gonna work out for my work schedule so uh yeah i'll just be like short of silver again unless i win gp toronto that's basically what's up so cool cool Fine. Good is, there, is there a percent <laughs> chance that you might make it and have you asked wizards to move it i haven't i i just found out like this week so i haven't uh talked to them about, about moving it yet i doubt that they will but um, it was more like I, I really wanted to hit silver this year, and I was like kind of on the right track to do so. So uh, if I don't get those three points from the event, which is like unlikely if they push it out, then I'm sitting at uh, 13, which is real difficult to hit with just going to GP Toronto. Um, whereas if I had 16, then a good performance at GP Toronto, including a top eight, would lock me for silver, which would just be like really nice for the next um, two years. But ah, <laughs> Who knows? Right, you're, you're, like, can, you, can you take the participation points without showing up i, I don't know I, actually I, I would probably ha- be happier with um taking the participation points and then not moving my invite out yeah <laughs> just I, going I mean, to that event just give me the three pt points no, that, that makes sense to me and i i would look into that i don't i don't know i mean i know there's some events there used to be thresholds where you had to play x number of rounds before you get the points and it may work that way but in the event of extenuating circumstances maybe they'd just be willing to grant you the three points although now that i say that i feel like <laughs> I feel like I remember a situation. I think I think it was actually like Dave Shields who skipped for. Um, I, don't, I think it was a graduation or something. I don't remember the exact specifics of this. So don't quote me on it. But he skipped like the last pro tour of the year for like a family event and missed. I think gold by like three points and wouldn't get. He would have just made it if he went. Sort of um, like, yeah, no, you, no, we're not gonna. But thanks though. Thanks for trying. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's the way it works. So okay. it's, it's worth looking into. But we can ask. I'll, I'll let you guys know what happens when I ask. Can we get a random Japanese guy that poses you? <laughs> I don't know. For one round, he just has to like drop after round one. <laughs> See, so I, I mean, I'm definitely 
well not known enough that someone could play in my place <laughs> and no one would be the wiser. <laughs> Derek, you free? You want to go to Japan? <laughs> he, has to, he just has to lose like the first few so you don't get featured. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'll, be too hard for Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited to talk about the new some of the newer cards with you, Rob. Uh, hoping you were going to the PT because uh, next one standard with our devastation, and uh, we we saw that monument was the new deck on the scene. Don't know if it's the best deck. If it's just hype, a lot of times it's just like the hottest MTGO deck before everything like. <laughs> goes to equilibrium again and i talked to brian and chat thinks mardu vehicles is still good i talked to fournier who loved absolutely loved his mardu vehicle 75 uh thought it was perfect and he, he had mentioned he was maybe two cards off on his grix's death shadow deck in modern but still loves mardu and uh that's the deck he would still play today right brian I would still be playing Mardu, yeah. I, I need to look into the, the white-blue list a little bit. I mean, it was obviously like the best performing list, the breakout list. Um, I, I knew Jerry was playing it before the event. Uh, he had shared in our other podcast, the, the, the Patreon over there. He, he tweeted about it. So I knew that was like the hot tech going into it. Um, and I, I, we also had talked a bit about the Monument deck before that. Like that deck was just starting to make waves on Moto. And every time I played against it, I was pretty impressed by it. Um, but if I had to play a tournament tomorrow, for me, it's still Mardu uh, with the admission that maybe things are starting to trend against it. But I, I've played against the white version of that deck quite a bit on Moto, and it feels like a really easy matchup based on my sideboard configurations. Those of you in the First Strike Nation have seen my current list, so it's very sweeper heavy uh, in post-board games. It, it would have, I mean, Dusk isn't good against this deck, but it has two Fumigates and, and two Chandra Sixes. Um, now, they have access to some counterspells post-board, so that makes like the big Planeswalker plan a little bit worse and Fumigate's a little bit worse. Um, but I, I think it's mostly Spell Queller. And what do they have after that? Like Metallic Rebuke? Is that the other card that they... Are they playing Selfless spell? Spirit as well? Oh, they do have Selfless Spirit. That's true. I don't find that to be a huge problem, though. I mean, I, th- I think you're removal heavy enough that you can generally set up spots where you're able to deal with the Selfless Spirit. I, I would be more concerned about just like Negates for my six mana planeswalkers, you know, that's a pretty tremendous blowout. Um, but, but yeah, I'm still pretty in on the Mardu train. Um, I actually played Fournier on Moto over the course of the week in the, in the Mardu mirror. And, uh, I thought he played very well and he beat me eventually. Ooh. Um, but yeah, I, still a fine deck. There's no reason to jump ship. If you're like a Mardu head, you, you know, at this point, you know that your deck is infinitely customizable. You can find ways to ship your deck against the metagame. <laughs> Um, so go do that. You know, make the decisions you have to make to to get you in a place where you're comfortable with this new this new threat. Because I'm pretty sure Mardu can adapt. It just adapts to everything. It's the most flexible deck in the format. So, I, th- I think you like the matchup against Todd's exact list in, in top eight, where it only plays two rebukes in the main and one in the side, and nothing else that could really counter your fumigates and your well, obviously the selfless spirits. Yeah, I mean that sounds fine to me. That sounds like something I can deal with. Um, I just haven't I haven't lost to the mono white version. So it, unless it, I, I don't think it was designed to get better against Mardu specifically. I don't think that was the point of adding blue. I I could be mistaken on that. I think they they were looking for points elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I'd have to play the matchup a little bit to figure it out. But like I said, I'm sure there's an adjustment I can make that gets me back to a comfortable place against that deck. So I've been playing blue red zombies. What? <laughs> Online and standard, I've been playing blue red 
blue red uh, blue red zombies. It, it seems like it's just well positioned against uh, all these people trying to play a bunch of mid range creature decks. You get to play Coastal Electro Trinity Elder Deep Fiend. I mean, like, so you're else? just getting ready for Hollow One, is what you're saying, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, like, what else do you want, man? <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing reasonably well with it. Uh, I think it has um, pretty good matchups uh, across the board right now. So um, if you're looking for a cheap deck to play standard before the new sets come into Moto, I, I would play Blue-Red Zombies. Hmm. Blue-Red Zombies. All right. Um, so let's just jump in to some of the Hour of Devastation cards. So first, for these guys to debate over, number one, countervailing wins. One blue, two colorless, instant counter-target spell. Unless its controller pays one colorless for each card in your graveyard and can also cycle for two. Hmm. Rob, you're excited about How playable is this? Yeah, I actually kind of like this card. I mean, it's not, it's not insane. I definitely don't think it's a four of, um, but it's like close to a spell shrivel, right? It's got a little more flexibility than a spell shrivel. So um, I, I can see it being good in a, in a lot of, uh, different decks like some red blue tempo type lists even like um you know like a black blue control deck that's kind of like you know the like sensor gets dead real quickly uh in you know in your hand like there's a a very small window of opportunity you get to cast sensor and it'd be useful before you're just like cycling it away whereas this card has like a lot this card kind of actually gets better as the game gets later so it's it's like weaker in the beginning where you want to cycle it, right? To hit your land drops and, and just turn through your deck. And it gets like better in the late game after you've played a bunch of cards and it's like, uh, you know, three mana essentially, you know, essentially cancel with, with cycling, right? Um, so yeah, I think it has a spot uh, in the meta. I, I would be very surprised if this card didn't see play in a deck that was a, a meta deck, even as like a, a one of. I think Brian hates it, though. But I, I think it's reasonable. I think it's reasonable. It's, it's not even close to playable. It's, it's not even in the range. Well, of why, why do you hate it, though? Why do you hate it? You well, just don't like all, Spell Shrivel? First of all, <laughs> this is Spell Shrivel in only the most optimal of situations. Like, there's many times on turn one and two where you won't have put anything into your graveyard. Things won't necessarily always be in your graveyard. There's no fetch lands in this format. So it's very possible that this is just a fail of a card. Like, you get turn three and this card does absolutely nothing. That's unacceptable for a card like this, especially when there exists in the same set a card which will do a three-mana version of this, which is, like, fine, especially on turn three, that's totally fine. And if it's not doing that, it does way better than cycling. It actually impulses. I don't remember what this card is called. KYT, do you know the card I'm talking about? Um, no. <laughs> okay. This is a real card, I promise you. I don't, I don't remember the name of it. Its text is two colorless, one blue. Uh, choose one, counter-target spell unless your opponent pays three. Or... Look at the top four cards of your library. Choose one and put it into your hand. Put the other. It's called Supreme, Supreme, Supreme Will. Will. Supreme Will. It's so much better than this card. This card doesn't even compare to that card. And I'm kind of lukewarm on that card even. So, like, I think that card's not a four of because there's, there's a fail rate, again, on that card in the late game where you can't counter small spells because it reaches such a high point. You're, this card is so bad in so many situations and only marginally better in some situations. I wouldn't even consider playing it. I don't think it's even close. You don't think New Perspectives would want that card? New, new Perspective wants the other card. The split the, card. The one that doesn't cycle? Yes, the one that doesn't cycle. That's a better card for that deck. Okay, maybe, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a hard counter, right, in the late game? And they, they can control that? If it's close to anywhere, it's New Perspectives. That's fair. But... Because it's very rare that they're going to reach a fail state on turn three, right? So as far as 
playability, there's a possibility to play in your perspectives. I'll give you that. But in terms of just card power, this is not a good card. This is a card that demands a very specific deck, such as new perspectives to be playable. Yeah, I'm not saying this is... I didn't say it was broken. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> I just think it's. I just think it's a. It'll, it'll find a home in the format somewhere. It just. It seems only. To, only a new perspective. It's only possible. It's weird that they would print this card in Supreme Will in the same set, though. That they are stepping on each other's toes, and I feel like no, that kind of bad design with Sensor being the set before. But yeah, whatever. That makes me think this is, a, this is a limited card. That's why one is constructed price, one is limited price, and this is a limited card. And even in limited, I don't want to play this card to be honest with you. But it, it's it's closer to a limited card. I do. I love blue red spells, and this is the card I want. I promise. <laughs> it's like reduced to rubble plus plus. <laughs> Vince, do you like this card for limited? Oh, wait, no. hold on. I have to jump in real quick. Reduce, I got reduced to rubble by a dredge deck in the Moto PTQ today. <laughs> they what? reduced to rubble. Yeah, they reduced to rubble my living end, and I was like blown out until the next turn where I just cast another living end. But in that one second, I was like, wow, you got me, and then I won the game very easily. But. <laughs> It was, I was still like, oh, that's kind of cool. And you could see, like, if you're chaining reduced to rebels, you know, you're just flipping through your whole deck and you just get to rebel your opponent every turn. I was interested. I thought it was... Okay. It was, okay. It was cool. Interesting. It clearly worked, so it's definitely... <laughs> it definitely worked for one turn, so... Time walk. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't want to play this card in limited. I, I think it's more likely to actually be played in constructed than limited. Um, but... I'm kind of with Brian. I'll, I, I'll say I'm in between the two of you. I think it could be played in maybe one other deck that is a new perspective, like some three-color Delirium deck. might Because it's easy to cast, right? It's a single blue mana, so there, it has that going for it. If that's a reality that exists, maybe the card could slot into some kind of bug deck. Um, but yeah... Honestly, I think Supreme Will's probably just better in almost every scenario. Um, yeah, and I also don't think the card's very good and limited. It's, it kind of plays like a, a bad card if you just desperately need a cycler for your cycling deck. Um, card's not crazy good. Not super excited about it. Okay. Uh, we'll stick with you, Vince, on the, our next card. Hour of Devastation. Double red. Three colorless sorcery. All creatures lose indestructible until end of turn. Our devastation deals five damage to each creature and each non-bolus planeswalker. This card's great, right? Like this card, this card allows you in standard to start thinking about different types of decks, which I think is is awesome for design. When they when they print a card that's like, oh, I can build some kind of weird red based control deck now and just like have this fail safe that will always do what I need it to do on turn five. Like they've added text to this card to make sure that it is doing what you want it to do on turn five, which is sweet. Um, this is a very efficiently costed too. dealing five damage. Like you're, you're going to be killing everything that's in play on turn five with this card and the added upside that you're just destroying planeswalkers that seem to be kind of problematic right now is, is bonus. This card is going to be played in some amount in standard for sure, and it's obviously very good in limited as well. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty hyped about this card. Hmm. Any any angle in which this might suck from the other two? No, we're all, we're all thumbs up. I don't think so. This card's like f you, Avison, f you, self spirit, <laughs> f you, Gideon. <laughs> get out, get out. It, you know, unfortunate part is that it doesn't say non bolus non Chandra planeswalker because I feel like. Chandra 4 
is going to be the the kind of sequence you you want in this deck. Chandra into Bolas into into this, but that, that's not going to be possible. So, but yeah, I, I agree with Vince. I think this card's going to see play. It seems it seems real nice. It's also like screws over the green black deck that's trying to play around Fumigate with heroic intervention or whatever it's called to give their their team uh, indestructible. And I was like, yeah, no, no thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced that this enables any new archetypes, but it slots in as a fine option for some existing archetypes. Uh, I had talked a little bit about black-red control kind of being a thing, and like maybe splashing Bolas. Um, so you could see this slotting very nicely into a deck like that. Um, I, I think it's not as good as everyone thinks it is, but that doesn't really matter because it's still good enough, and it is doing a unique thing that you know, decks of this ilk generally want access to. Um, so, yeah. See some play? Is it the card that, like, totally changes the shape of the format? I don't think so. I, I'm, more in, I'm more interested in the six mana, new, uh, the, the new sweeper in white than I am in this card. I think, I think that's a little bit cleaner. Um, but you can see the upside of this card versus that card. I mean, Abyssin's a real card. Um, I'm a little concerned about Planeswalkers that get too big for this to deal with, things like Nahiri. This is a really bad answer, you know, if your opponent just Nahiris and pluses and, and you play this card. I mean, I guess you still got some value out of it, probably. You didn't just do it to do the 5 damage to Nahiri. There's something else going on, but um, yeah, good card. I don't think it... This this is not the main story going into the Pro Tour. That's that's all I'm trying to say. Like, I don't, I don't think this totally changes the metagame. I think there's some decks that will enjoy having access to this card. All righty. Um, jumping into our third card, Hour of Promise, which is shout-outs to our uh, quick plug for our GP Toronto again, because it's our uh, we uh, unveiled that it was our GP Toronto, uh, the art for the GP Toronto playmat that you're going to get. And when we saw that, we were hoping, when we saw the art, before we saw the, the actual mechanics of the card, we were hoping, obviously, that it would be an exciting card. And it has a good chance to be. It's one green, four colorless sorcery. Search your library for up to two land cards. Put them onto the battlefield, tapped, and shuffle your library. Then if you control three or more deserts, create two, two, two black zombie creature tokens. Hmm. Ryan, do you think this is uh, playable in, in multiple formats? I, I don't know, but if I, would, I would tell you right now that if I was qualified for the Pro Tour, this is the first card I'm testing. Period. The first card I'm testing. Because what this can do is kind of ludicrous if you look at its optimal range. And generally, you don't want to evaluate cards based on their optimal ranges. But I'm willing to make exceptions when they go completely bonkers. And this card ramps you from 5 to 10 in one card. You just go from 5 mana to Ulamog. You just go get 2 Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. That's crazy. That's, a, that's an incredible amount of ramp. Um, so the first spot I'm thinking is kind of like mono green Eldrazi um, using the new green desert. Because the Eldrazi... Uh -huh. uh, have a really nice mana sources. They have several really nice mana sources now in the deserts, which both tap for colorless mana and colored mana. Um, so I'm thinking like Matter Reshaper, Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher, you know, the usual suspects. And then some Wastes, and you could even play the Waste Ramp card. Uh, we're topping off at Ulamog. I don't know, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, I, I'm not sure if we go like... <clears throat> excuse me, if we're like into the whole... Uh, Ugin Sanctum type trend that seems a, li a little bit of a stretch to me, um, but you could certainly play like Hangerback Walkers and stuff. When you're ramping this much, it's just like you have a lot of options available to you. 5 to 10 is kind of 
standard unprecedented from one card. I don't think we've ever had a card that does that much ramp. And I would also keep in mind that I don't believe they thought that Ulamog would be in this format anymore. Um, it, it, based on the old rotation set schedule, it should have rotated. Um, I mean, this is a weird card. They don't usually print search cards that allow you to get non-basic lands for a very good reason, because you can do some pretty broken stuff. Um, I, I don't think this card's going to make a lot of zombies. Um, you could certainly see, though, if, if you're running the deserts for you know, access to the colorless mana, that might happen more often than you would believe, and that's a pretty good defensive state, right? Do the zombies come into play tapped or untapped? Does anyone have it open in front of them? They come to play untapped. They come to play untapped, so that's a really good defensive spot to be in if you're able to, on your first um, casting of it, have three deserts in play, having your two zombies to block and then untap and play Ulamog. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in on this card. I, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure it's going to be the format definer, but of all the cards I see in this set, this is the one with the clearest chance of completely shaking the format to its core. Wow. Like, when I, when, <laughs> when I revealed this as the art, there was just, like, uh, some, some skepticism amongst the team at face-to-face games uh, in terms of the people working at the store, not the, the official Pro Tour team. And some had speculated maybe it's just a casual commander card or whatever. So I'm really excited, Brian. Did anyone mention Shrine of the Forsaken Gods with it? No, no, no oh, one did. So. I mean, that's the whole key. That's what does it. Is when you're ramping from 5 to 10, that's ludicrous. That's mm-hmm. unprecedented levels of ramp. Um, again, I, I could see this card failing, and maybe it's not good enough. Five is a lot of mana to do nothing. Um, but if it's good enough, well, time for more Ulamog at the Pro Tour. I hope everyone's excited. <laughs> oh, Rob, Rob I, I'm just so hoping that you could make it now, so that we could just make this <laughs> all the green ramp deck. And you just everyone. All of the Ulamog <laughs> all of the time. Yeah, I mean, this card just looks like it was designed thinking that Ulamog was no longer in the format. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I agree with Brian. I think this card is uh, pretty silly, and I think it's going uh, to be pretty good while Ulamog is still in standard. I don't know if Mono Green's the right way to go. I mean, it's definitely something to explore, for sure. Um, but even just playing, like, you know, your traditional rug uh energy deck kind of with this in it to like you're basically your shell of what was team or marvel before just kind of like changing it so that you're like a a rug ulamog ramp deck uh which still plays rogue refiners and other annoying pesky stuff uh also seems like a reasonable spot for this i I don't know card is probably going to be a problem but it'll only be a problem for three months so we can live through it (laughs) we'll we'll see i don't know yeah I, i really like um that there are, you know, Ulamog gets to make his one last stand, and then we get to really know that he was the problem and not all the cards that they banned uh, in an effort to make him worse. <laughs> uh, Vince, I'm not sure where, where people uh, should stand when they open this in, in their sealed pool or in draft. Is it too slow for you, Vince? I mean, in limited, <laughs> it, it, you definitely need the Desert Clause active to feel good about playing this in limited. And I'm not sure what kind of limited decks you're building where you're like, yeah, I have six deserts. This card's great. Uh, <laughs> you still need to hit the natural one desert to go fetch the two that allow you to, uh, to get the two zombies. But there's actually some reasonably powerful, maybe not like crazy powerful, but the, the desert lands that have the utility, like that you can sacrifice the desert to have an effect 
some of them are decent and limited. Like I think there's one that Giant Gross and one that Glorious Anthem's your team. So yeah, I mean it could be reasonable if you have the right pieces for it. I don't know if it's gonna be great and limited. Um there's a black one, Vince, that gives minus one minus one counters, two minus one minus one counters to an opponent's creature. Okay, well yeah, so if you have two of those, you're definitely just gonna go fetch them if you're really happy about that. Um but yeah, I think this card kind of also shows why you shouldn't print lands that tap for two mana. No matter how you try to fix it, it's just never correct. Like, stop. Just stop. Please stop. Because then cards like this can exist and be evaluated in, like, a fair sense. Like, this card might just be good anyway, but now it's, like, only gonna be good when you do crazy, absurd, unreasonable thing with it. So, yeah. Oh. Brian's gotta be hyped. Brian's gotta be hyped for standard, actually. Somehow I've become the hype man on this show. I'm just all about pumping things up and unrealistic expectations, and then we all crumble down to earth with nothing. I'm hyped. I'm hyped. I'll listen. Uh, I hope this card comes up in a future game podcast to see if Jerry disagrees. Um, Moving to a card that, again, Rob sees some potential. Majestic Miriarch. Chimera, one green, four colorless. It's star, star. It's power and toughness. Uh, they're equal to twice the number of creatures you control. At the beginning of each combat, if you control a creature with flying, uh, Majestic Miriarch gains flying until end of turn. The same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace, Reach, while Trample, and Vigilance. All that good stuff. And you're seeing how it might have some synergy with a, with a current contender in the format. Yeah, I mean, like... It just seems reasonable with Oketra's Monument, right? The thing just gets so large so quickly, um, and it picks up every keyword that's on your creatures, which, uh, you know, may be interesting. So I'm not saying that it's definitely great, but I think it's something that may move the Oketra's Monument decks from blue-white to green-white. And I've seen some green-white lists uh, online running through the queues as well um, that are more traditional to, like, those green-white Humans deck that was kind of popular um, at the end of, I don't know, two or three standards ago or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. Just like a five mana 12-12 or something, right? That might, have, that might have flying haste and trample <laughs> and double strike or whatever. So, I don't know. If you can configure your deck to like take advantage of some of these uh, keywords it gets, it, it could be just like a one-shot, um, which, which this deck might need since it's like, usually a green-white deck is pretty standard in, in just like being very uh, susceptible to cards like Fumigate. Um, so anyways, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's just so large. Just so large. I don't know. Fling it at, fling it at somebody. Like, come on. Let's go. Get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Brian. Brian's not... It sounds great, man. It sounds fun. Sounds like a win more to me. Uh, if you have, you know, five creatures on board, shouldn't you be winning most games? Do you really need a 10-10 to add to your five creatures? Um, if you're kind of executing your plan and doing monument stuff, you're winning the game. You don't need to play a five drop that, you know, unless you have a flyer, can be chumped in perpetuity. Obviously, there's a lot of flyers in the deck, so it's, it's totally plausible he takes to the air. Um, but he doesn't protect himself in any way. He doesn't generate any instant value when he enters the battlefield. And, and whoa, that's whoa, 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 whoa. He can get hexproof and indestructible. Rob, what hexproof indestructible creatures are being played? <laughs> It well, that's, that's yet to be seen, Brian. I mean... What? Okay, which ones exist? Would you like to tell me about the ones that are currently present in the format? 
Uh, Avison can can gain indestructibility very briefly. Yep, that's correct. And yeah. probably you should just be playing her as opposed to this guy. What about this uh, crested sunmare? He can give your other horses indestructible. Rob, if you have a board full of horses and they're all indestructible, and this guy shows up, okay, it's great. Your second five drop is the one who got the job done. Congratulations, you've earned it. But uh, I don't see this guy making any waves. Strictly better than Virgo's Gear Hulk, right? Uh, that seems like a stretch to me. I know. It's so hard to be good at five mana. It's probably not good enough right now, but um, this thing does get real large uh, real fast. So I, I, I'm not saying it's going to break standard, but I think it's just something to keep your eye on. Sounds like how you evaluate cards for kitchen table magic and not professional magic. <laughs> I think we gave up on the biggest good thing in like 1995. So. If, we're, if we're evaluating cards for for professional magic, then we only need to talk about Hour of Promise. Nothing else matters. Okay. <laughs> that might be true. Uh, well, what, one of the... On Twitter, uh, and Rob responded, one of the our listeners wanted to know, why is uh, Hour of Devastation, hashtag MTGHOU, so laughably weak? And Rob answered, uh, because Kaladesh is so laughingly insane. Um, true. Yeah. <laughs> you, like, are you unimpressed by the power of uh, the current set that's coming out? Well, I mean, so I'm not. I'm not unimpressed. I think that it. This is the power level that a magic set should be. I just think it pales in comparison to the completely broken Kaladesh block, um, which is what we've been seeing. Like, kind of, that's the story of this whole year, right? Is that like. Kaladash broke standard completely. <laughs> we need to reset things back to a, a normal. <laughs> and I think the set is is uh, very normal. I don't think there's anything that's like too crazy, um, which is uh, which is good. I think that after Kaladash block rotates out, um, or they just continue to ban cards from it until there's nothing left, then uh, we should see. Uh, I, I don't know. This doesn't seem like anything's overpowered. You should be able to do lots of interesting things. Uh, there's probably even time for dirtling around. Um, there's lots of reasonable wraths. So, yeah, I don't know. The, the set's just, like, kind of well-designed for standard. Um, Kaladesh seems like it was more like a Modern Masters or whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, Brian, do you feel this way? Yeah, it seems like it's a lower power level than most sets. I, I don't think that's a really, like, useful way to look at a set because it doesn't really matter. Like, what does it matter that the set is more underpowered than the last. Everything's contextual, right? So if it's surrounded by underpowered cards, then it's not a big deal. Does that mean it's harder for this set to kind of crack into standard? Yeah, sure. But things rotate, things change, new synergies arise. I mean, I just don't think that discourse is particularly... It's not particularly useful. It doesn't really tell you anything about how you should be going forward from here, how you should be building decks. Like, sure, on the whole, these cards are less have less power than the cards that preceded them, but there's still room for, you know, new innovations. Uh, we just talked about a card that ramps you from five to 10. That sounds like one of the most powerful things in the standard in a very long time. Um, so there's always exceptions. Those are the cards we have to focus on for now. As the power level of standard wanes down, we'll have other cards to focus on. And that's fine. It's, it's good for Magic to kind of take these steps back every now and then. Um, because we have to play different play styles. You know, I, I like playing slower games in Magic sometimes. It's why we enjoy... Limited in comparison to constructed. It's a different style of magic. And all styles of magic are good. Um, it's just different. So, yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll be different once the rotation comes and we can reevaluate these cards then. 
I, I can't imagine this to ever be true, but it might. Like when I saw that Joel Larson had written this week an article called Hollow One, it might be our devastation's most broken card. So, I mean, I'll be happy if it's uh, the, our best preview card and, and the best preview card ever on, on Man Deprived. It's going to be tough to beat Grim Flare, but if it does... We, we led our discussion with that card on, on the game podcast. We both are of the opinion that it's a very broken card and has some top-tier potential in multiple formats. So, um, you know, it's, it's higher variance than Grim Flare. Grim Flare is just like sweet value, dude. Yeah. There was no way he was going to miss... Hollow One is either going to be broken or miss. So, uh, you know, you're rolling the dice a little bit, but wouldn't surprise me at all if it's broken. All right. So uh, this upcoming weekend, real-life uh, pre-releases are happening Friday at midnight at a bunch of stores. And, of course, we're getting MTGO earlier than usual, I think, again. Uh, Vince, are you drafting? Are you playing the draft a ton? Yeah, I'll probably go crazy like I do every, every set release. <laughs> I mean, that's... That's my like eighty percent of my time playing Magic is when sets release on Moto. So yeah, that'll that'll consume me for sure. All right, all right. I'm I'm excited. I think I'm going to jump in a, a pre-release once again. And um, yeah. Oh, small that... note. Sorry, sorry, Car. Go ahead. Um, Rob and I are thinking about doing a live stream version of our previous video Ooh. series where we went through all the cards for a limited. Um, so hit us up on our Facebook page, the First Strike Facebook page, if you guys uh, have any suggestions for how you want us to do that, or if you're interested, just let us know what your interest level is, and we'll get that going. Sweet, sweet. Love it. Um, I think that's it for, for this episode. There's, there's other topics on the docket, but we definitely spent a lot of time on uh, some, some topics that I wanted us to be able to go a bit deeper on. Uh, anything from you guys, Brian? Rob? Vote Pakula in. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Rob mentioned the, the Hall of Fame just to troll me. I'm super happy we ran out of time for Hall of Fame discussion. It's like my least favorite thing to talk about on the planet. Um, vote whoever you want. Doesn't matter. It's an objective. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, it's a subjective thing. I don't, I don't know why people think there's a right answer and a wrong answer. That's the whole purpose of voting. Um, vote what your heart tells you. Um, that's it. That's it for me. I accomplished my goal. I got Brian to talk longer about the <laughs> HOF votes than I did. HOF. <laughs> <laughs> got him. <laughs> Dude, I guess that guy's right. I do talk too much. I was just like, no, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Want to give a shout out to our producers, uh, Kyle Smirchik, Derek Pite, Adrian Murchison, Isaiah Carrero, and new producer, Jonathan Good, again, Canada's regional coordinator. L3 Judge is going to be a big part of organizing GP Toronto, so super happy to have him in the nation. And I guess for the nation to be able to bug him with random questions with some people like Brian, um, other Brian in the in, in the nation that has started. Um, and, and that's it. And we'll I, see. I guess you. I should have bugged him today, though, right? I mean, I didn't even All right. Yeah. <laughs> I but I have a suspend word. Please tell me. Please next don't. time, man. Next time, I'll, I'll go right to him. So, again, make sure you check out GPToronto2017.com for all the information about all the, the main event and all these side event packages. Just get one of them, have fun, and join us on Friday night. It's going to be awesome. And, again, there's going to be a party also Saturday night organized by other people. I'll probably be part of that. So, hey, let's, let's hang out in less than three weeks. I can't wait. And we'll see you. If not, we'll see you next episode next week on Monday. So catch you guys later. Oh, 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 o